like you can't not have a social media presence now. I think that's the biggest thing that's changed since we started. Um, you you pretty much have to have a social media presence somewhere, depending on where your audience is. You don't necessarily have to be on every platform, um, but you you definitely have to be reachable that way because your customers now expect you to be able to. Your your customers expect to reach you that way. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Calling all thrill makers, fun creators, and attraction pros. Get ready for the ride of a lifetime at IAPA Expo 2023, the global attractions industry's premier event. Join us in Orlando, November 13th to the 17th for a week of learning, networking, and exploring trends and new technologies. Discover innovative solutions for growth that will supercharge your business and enhance your career. Register by November 10th at iapa.org slash iapaexpo. That's I-A-A-P-A dot org slash I-A-A-P-A-E-X-P-O to save up to 30% and get an additional $10 off with the code APROS. That's A-P-R-O-S. We'll be there. And we hope to see you too. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. But how are you? I am fantastic. That was a big, long, long drawn out. It's yes. A lot of A's. A lot of A's. What if I did it? I was fantastic. There's a lot of N's. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure this all leads into a conversation somewhere, but here's my question for you. Yes. Do you like dessert? I do like dessert. Okay. Let's narrow this down. Let's peel back the onion. Although I don't know you'd be eating onions for dessert. Do you like pie? I do like pie. Okay. Do you have a favorite flavor or kind of pie? That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite pie. You know, it's like, okay. it, I mean, there's just so many great pies. I mean, we're going, at the time of this episode airing, we're going into the fall season. I, I do really like a good pumpkin pie. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. But I also like cherry pie and apple pie. Okay. And chocolate chip pie. Like if there's a pie with chocolate in it. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah. All what, right. What about you? Um, so pumpkin pie. Okay. Right up there. Yeah. Um depending on where you are in the in the country, pecan or pecan pie. Uh, okay. big fan. Okay. Um apple pie, cold or warmed with some ice cream. Mm, now we're okay. getting now we're getting specific. Yeah, yeah. Um you mentioned the the chocolate chip pie. I will also say um any pie that has peanut butter of any kind 
uh, in it, I will, hmm. I will at least try it and probably okay. like it a whole lot. Yeah. 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 What about definitely? So you mentioned uh, onions with dessert. Definitely not that, but not onion. But what about sweet potato? Sweet potato pie. Um, I don't know that I've ever had sweet potato pie. Okay. I've had sweet potatoes. Yeah. But not sweet potato pie. You've had all the things in a sweet potato pie, just never together. <laughs> that's probably true. That's probably true. Why? Sweet potato and pie crust. I've never baked one, but that's probably it. Yeah. Would it, would it be the consistency or similar to a pumpkin pie? Yeah. But it just tastes like sweet potatoes instead. Matt, is this oh. our our 314 episode? <laughs> Well, this is the Pie Pros podcast. In case you're <laughs> tuning in and thought you were getting the attraction pros, you're, this is your Pie Cast. Yes, <laughs> yes. But no, today is our 314th episode, and also known as 3.14. So it's our Pie Podcast, and we are extremely um, honored to have a person who has, I think, been on the podcast before in one way, shape, or form in some of the lives that we've done. Um, also a, a good friend of both of ours, Mr. Kevin McNulty. Kevin McNulty is the president, CEO, and co-founder of NetWeave Social Networking. Co-founded the company in 2009. And when you think 2009 and social media, for me, I just think of blurry pictures on Facebook. And I think like Twitter had just started at that point. I think Instagram had just started at that point. I don't know. I LinkedIn had probably just, I think Facebook was probably the only platform I was on in 2000. I, and I think like MySpace had just died at that point. <laughs> okay. You're, you're better at the timeline than I am. Cause I was thinking, you know, the, the first things I recall in terms of social media, and maybe that was before the ones that we know now was MySpace, right? Mm -hmm. Using using that quite a bit and then uh, gravitating at some point toward Facebook and the rest. Yeah, yeah. So knowing that started the company back then, that's like before social media marketing was cool and honestly like before <laughs> it really even existed. But it's really interesting to hear uh, kind of the, a little bit of the early days of NetWeave, but then really kind of transferring into today and the way that NetWeave works with Many businesses in a variety, a variety of different industries, but uh, specifically in the attraction space. That's where we know Kevin from, and uh, he's a uh, a very um, a big member in the Florida Attractions Association, which is really, I think, where we both know him from. So working with many attractions, many throughout Florida, and really we get to talk all about social media strategy within the attractions industry. You know what I love about the the stuff we get to talk about today is it's all very practical, right? Um, you know, and I think he really breaks down some of those things that may confuse people about social media or are almost myths around social media, like you know things have to be perfect and you know have the perfect pose of a picture. And I think you know Kevin puts a nice point on it, and a lot of people are starting to realize that you know social media doesn't have to be perfect. Right. And you're going to probably get more traction being real and being authentic and recognizing that this is this is more of a conversation than it is just about kind of blurting things out uh, to the public. Um, but it also reminds me of um, 
uh, I think it was a tweet that Chris Luecki put out uh, just a couple of days ago. And he says, social media is much more fun when you remember it's a party, not a something else. Like not just for advertising, but it's not a advertising. party. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. And I think that uh, everything that Kevin says in this interview absolutely supports that that comment as well from Chris. Uh, you know, we talk about social strategy, but we, you know, you talk about being real and authentic, like you mentioned it a minute ago. He says that people want to connect with people not with logos. So being able to really create that brand voice, which needs to be unique and it needs to be very specific to you. And he talks about why that matters, why it's so important. Uh, and, and then we also talk about, well, we, we talk about a, a session that the two of you delivered at the most recent Florida Attractions Conference, which was about using show, social media to drive the company culture, which are two areas of the business that I would say are equally important, but aren't often thought of as being conjoined and the way that uh, that that both of you did it in the session really painted a very nice picture for the way that you're able to do that well thank you and i think so many yeah so many uh, organizations talk about culture right and they talk about marketing and, and social media and like you said those two are, are very rarely talked about in the same conversation um but i think this is a maybe a nice example of how you take these two things that may not necessarily seem like they're related, you put them together and you can then maybe find a solution that you've never had before. I mean, this is, this is where innovation comes from. And I'm not saying that, you know, Kevin and I have this, you know, idea that nobody has ever thought of and it's never, ever been done before. Um, but it's something that, again, if you take two things that don't necessarily go together, you put them together like peanut butter and chocolate and you get the Reese's peanut butter cup you could get something absolutely amazing. Yes. Yes, you can. Just like peanut butter and chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So should we dial in and uh, get to this interview with Kevin? We should. But first, I want to know how many numbers of pi can you recite? Uh, Three. 3.14. When I was in middle school, it was... (laughs) It was on this poster that like wrapped around the classroom, my math classroom, obviously. And that was middle school, no elementary school. It was in fifth grade. And yet today I can still tell you 3.14159265358979323846264. The poster kept going, but that was as much as I remembered when I was 10 years old. And I still remember it now. Wow. Wow. Well, it's a good thing that... You know, after 300 and something episodes, you saved that for our podcast. I haven't even thought of that in many years. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure I'm right on it, though. So let's get to this interview with Kevin McNulty. Happy pie episode. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Feels like. We're talking all the time, but now we actually get to record it and let other people hear our conversation. So, uh, Kevin, for those who are not familiar with you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career and what you do with NetWeave? Sure. Um, So uh, I'm the president and CEO and co-founder of NetWeave Social Networking. We're a digital marketing agency in Southwest Florida. Um, We started in 2009. So I like to tell people we've been in social media for about as long as there's been a social media industry. 
Um, and uh, we do all kinds of digital marketing, but social media is really our bread and butter. So we manage social media for other clients um, and uh, we do social media advertising and that sort of thing um, for about, I think right now, about 60, 70 clients all across the country. But of course, a lot in Florida, because there's a lot of attraction business here in Florida, and that's where we are, and that's where we started out. Um, but yeah, prior, prior to that, I was in um, knowledge management and corporate training world for a number of years. Um, got a bachelor's in psychology from Cal State Fullerton, joined the Army for a little bit, and uh, worked in the defense industry and human resources and kind of went from there. And I was a stay-at-home dad for seven years. You've done it all. Yeah. yeah. I'll, so it, how you... It's easy to tell which job was the hardest too. <laughs> uh, so how did Nebit, uh, NetWeave gravitate into the attractions industry? Because with your background, your you know your history is not in the industry, but with companies being you know a, a heavy focus in attractions, how did that happen? Right. So so early on, um, one of our first clients was um, the Bishop Museum of Science and Nature here in. Um, Bradenton, which uh, formerly known as the South Florida Museum. Um, and our contact there had um, had come there from Fantasy of Flight in, you know, in Polk City. Well, um, at the time, the, the um, CEO of Fantasy of Flight, the general manager there, um, was very involved in the Florida Attractions Association. And so we wound up landing them as a client and Kim told us in no uncertain terms, you're joining the Florida Attractions Association. Uh, it wasn't a question. So we joined the Florida Attractions Association and, and just kind of gravitated towards it to it from there. So um, our clients kind of fall in three buckets. One bucket is just kind of miscellaneous small businesses that we've just kind of gathered here and there over the years and the other two buckets are attractions and aviation and that all started pretty much from fantasy of flight you know since it's a aviation attraction it kind of sent us down both those paths and we met more people in those industries thanks to them and you know most most of our business comes from referrals so you know it just all built on top of that so kevin thinking about the different industries that you work with is there anything unique or different about doing social media for attractions versus maybe some of the other small businesses that you work with? Sure. So every every business is is unique and it's not so much a function of the industry as it is a function of your relationship with your audience. Right? So I always tell people that the number one strategy in social media is to be the kind of company people want to say good things about. Um, and that really has nothing to do with what business you're in. Um, so we find that the bigger indicator of success is that you have a good relationship with your clients. It really doesn't matter what industry you're in, but each industry, of course, um, has its own challenges. You know, in aviation, you have a lot of very technically minded people. We have to have people on our staff that come from that world because you just can't, you, you just can't fake the jargon. Right. You you have to be from that world. And similarly with attractions, it's it's not as technically demanding a field, but there are certain things that you need to know. And we've learned those things over time, just working in the attractions industry and working with attractions. 
but there there are things you know it could be as simple as you know working for an attraction that has a live animal collection we say enclosure we don't say cage we say pool we don't say tank you know it could be things just as simple as that but it can also be that it can also be things of knowing when you're seeing incoming messaging that indicates a building problem uh, a wait time for a particular thing you're starting to see more complaints about that or you're seeing complaints about a, a particular maybe a ride not functioning um, or some kind of sanitation problem or maybe even a security problem and so there are things that you know are different about attractions there's overlap with any business that has a brick and mortar but there's also some unique situations that develop in that arena and it's also too i what i love about the attractions industry is knowing how many people's day we're making at any given time and i love the stories we get to tell um and it's a little bit easier in the attractions business than say we do we do have a client that runs a funeral home so it's a little easier running social media for an amusement park than it is for a funeral home um there are a lot more fun things to talk about <laughs> but i but we love we we just love the fact that you know people ask us a question we can give them an answer we just made their experience that much better we just made their interaction with the park that much more seamless um, and you know, I love it. I've for, for a number of years outside work, I was in the cast for the Sarasota medieval fair. And I'll never forget one day before the show, we always had a little huddle with the director and the director said, just think of how many people's photo albums you're going to be in this weekend. And I, I just always love that imagery and it, and it's kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, when, when you talk about those inbound messages that a social media team receives about perhaps a, a problem that might be building up. You mentioned, you know, wait times or other issues. Uh, in a perfect world, you know, the, the parks want this feedback or they need this type of feedback, but ideally those would be done, you know, through internal channels and, and not done on social media. So is part of a social media strategy to get guests to not post on social media certain things that should be delivered through internal channels or just purely to embrace anything, even if it's completely out of the open and in public? Well, so here's the thing on social media, you don't get to control the conversation. And that's the thing that scares a lot of people about social media. But on social media, the audience gets to decide what we talk about. We, we hope that it'll be what we suggested in our post, um, but if somebody's mad, nobody nobody calls anymore, right? And nobody's, people will get on social media and complain faster than they'll stop somebody in the park and complain because it's easy, it's anonymous, it's a, a medium they're familiar with. They don't, there's no conflict because they can post without having to look somebody in the eye so that's going to happen whether you're a part of it or not. And it's important for everybody to make sure that somebody is on the other end paying attention. Like your grandma used to say, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? You should be listening twice as much as you're talking. 
Um, and that's that's way true on social media. And we find that a lot of the folks that hire us are are kind of um, not necessarily small attractions, although small attractions do, but even mid-sized attractions. But they're they're the attractions that they don't have enough internal staff to do this, right? They they've got somebody who can maybe write content and get the outgoing, but the outgoing is only part of the problem. It's it's only the tip of the iceberg. If you don't have the capability to be monitoring and then have the person who's monitoring, if not empowered to, to take care of customer service issues, at least enabled to pass those to the right people in, in the park or at the attraction who are. Um, because I, I guarantee you, you, you'll see things like that. And, and I mean, it's other industries too, um, I can't tell you the amount of times we've told the client they have a problem because mm. we saw it first on social media. Mm. And it's not people, people aren't even necessarily going to the park social media and complaining. They're just complaining to their friends. And if you're not running searches for your park's name or ride names or whatever, that um, you would, those those tweets would, or, or you know, posts, whatever, Whatever kind of post they are, if you're not listening for those specifically to come up in searches and you're missing that conversation, that conversation is happening whether you're a part of it or not. Hmm. You know, there's a there's a team of people at, at GM, all they do, you know, not attractions, but there's a, a team of people at GM that all they do is watch social media 24-7, 24-7, there are three shifts for mentions of GM products. And and if you post to Facebook, I, I'm at the Chevy dealer again. This is the third time in a month with my Silverado. You'll get a response from GM that says, we're sorry you're having a problem with your Silverado. How can we help? So that brings up a question, uh, Kevin, especially for a, a third-party provider of the social media service. You're getting these inbound messages. You may be responding and, and interacting with a customer. But you've also got to take on that attraction sort of brand voice, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you go about learning, you know, sort of what they would say or how they would want you to respond, you know, where even as attractions, it may be different from business to business. Right. Yeah. And part of onboarding a client for us is having a deep conversation about what is our voice? What is our sense of humor? You know, how do we approach things? One of the fun questions we ask people is, if, if you had a celebrity spokesperson, anyone in the world you could pick, who would it be? Because then it's easy to say, okay, how would so-and-so put this, right? Visit Florida did this exercise years ago and it was Paul Rudd. So <laughs> not, not that Paul Rudd didn't have a relationship with Visit Florida, but everything was was produced in the lens of, okay, well, how would Paul Rudd say this? And so, you know, the, the whole goal is whether it's us, whether it's a third party or whether you're doing it yourself, there's going to be more than one person doing it. I mean, ultimately, especially for a larger park, it's going to be a team of people. You sh the customer should not be able to tell the difference between person A and person B on your social media. It should all sound like you, whether that's with your team members or with a third party. So that's a big part of onboarding. And then it's a big part of training. You know, we, we, we tell people, Hey, look, for the first month or two, we're going to be like a new employee. You're going to have to train us up. 
If we want to be an extension of your team. You've got to kind of manage us like that for at least the first little bit. Um, and then, you know, as we, as, as we start to get it, the, the client becomes more, okay, you, you guys got that. Um, but, you know, we always err on the side of caution. So if it's not something we're a hundred percent sure of the response, it's always going to go to the client. So, you know, we have service level agreements with people that, you know, a customer is not going to wait longer than X for an answer. But that answer may be, we're finding out for you and we'll get back to you as soon as we find out because we may not be in control of how quickly we get that answer. That may be up to the client. Hmm. I'd love to maybe talk a little more or kind of hear you expand a little on this, on the on the reason behind having the like the tone or the voice or talking like Paul Rudd or whatever it is that, that you develop kind of as, as your brand persona. Why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, I think it it matters a good deal because you you hear people talk a lot about branding, what's on brand, what's off brand, and that extends to your social media. But your social media has to be different from your traditional marketing in that, you know, an advertising approach is not going to fly on social media. So if you're always posting perfectly posed photographs, um, and your copy is always ad copy, people are going to see right through that and they're not going to want to follow you. So people follow you on social media to get things that they can't get any other way, um, you know, and, and to connect with the brand. So you can't just broadcast, you have to converse. And to converse, you, you have to be a person to some extent, right? There has to be some sort of personality. And you want to get that right. You want to get that on brand because, you know, how Disneyland talks to somebody is completely different than how Wendy's talks to somebody. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever taken a look at Wendy's social media, but Wendy's is, I mean, first of all, every, everybody in our industry just admires Wendy's. We wish all our clients could be <laughs> Wendy's, but not everybody wants to be that edgy and and not everybody wants to be that snarky. Um, there is certain value in taking a pot shot at McDonald's if you're Wendy's, right? But that sword cuts both ways, you know, because they can take pot shots too. So you better make sure your game is on point. Um, and not everybody wants to be like that. And especially with attractions, you're, you know, you're not, you you want to appeal to a broad um, variety of people. You don't want to necessarily carve out that specific a niche for yourself. But it you need to be on brand, right? You need to be people who have been to your park should, you know, if they follow you on social media, it should feel like it did when they were at the park. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Kevin, one of the things I'm curious about is, um, you know, you mentioned your psychology background and some of the things that you're you're kind of talking about kind of, you know, tweak my brain and say, hmm, there's some psychology behind what Kevin's talking about and and how we 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 should be looking at things from a from a social media perspective. Um, so do you feel like there's there's a lot of psychology that you're applying, or is it kind of I hate to say common sense, but like you just said, you've got to converse with someone, not just throw advertising 
at them. Um, right. So I'm I'm curious, like where you see the psychology uh, kind of playing into how we do social media. So uh, I think definitely there's a lot of psychology in it. However, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a lot of psychology consciously in it, right? There's a, I mean, psychology is the study of human behavior. There's human behavior everywhere. So everything is psychology. I wouldn't say we intentionally do this because psychologically we know that we will have access to this or this, or that we will create this emotion in a person. I think we just do that because we're good at talking to people. And, and, you know, we know how to, we, again, the success in social media comes down to knowing the audience and we, we know the audience, we know the audience a lot of times better than the client does. A lot of times the client will give us something and we'll say, oh, that'll never fly with your audience. And they'll say, what do you mean? Well, because here's the relationship we have with your audience. And if we say that they're going to see that it's a bunch of BS, you know, we need to, we need to be more transparent or we need to just come out and say this, or, you know, we need to say us and not the park, you know, the, because they're used to talking to us that way. And so, yeah, that's psychology, but that's also just talking to people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we consciously pull levers because we know psychologically, those are the levers to pull. Um, but, you know, people want to connect with people. They don't want to connect with logos. And, and so, you know, they want the other person at the person at the other end to be a person. Um, but again, you know, it shouldn't depend on which person is replying. That's why it's important to have a brand voice and a brand personality. Make sure you're saying things that are on brand. Um, you know, we had, we had a brand, they have a concert venue. They were having an artist um, that was coming to the concert venue and one of their songs is Love You Long Time. And um, so one of our uh, community managers came up with a post idea about, you know, so-and-so artist, we love you long time and, and making that the post. And I'm like, I get it, but that's way off brand for this attraction. There's there's no way that would fly with our, our some of our audience would laugh, no doubt, but it would be so uncharacteristic for us that even though in a on another brand on another channel it wouldn't have been controversial it would have been controversial for this client because it would have been so out of character yeah that that makes sense and it, i mean it's something that that you got to think about it the brand voice can't just change based on based on the day and the circumstances even with this this concert that's happening that it still needs to match you know everything that that is kind of set in stone and like you said identifying with uh with the audience i shouldn't say set in stone but something that is, that is developed intentionally to identify with the audience right. um curious about i you know you talked about how you formed the company in 2009 before mm -hmm. social media was really i would say a, a common business practice and right. you know, people used to compare social media to traditional marketing tv radio billboards i i remember in graduate school, which was 09, maybe even 2010 or 11 or so, uh, taking marketing classes and was looking in the library for marketing resources. And even the librarian said, you're not going to find anything on social media because it's still considered to be, he used the word taboo in terms of business. It was not, you know, for business. 
fast forwarding today into 2023, has social media gotten to the point where it is considered traditional marketing or is there still kind of this line in the sand between the two? Well, I, I think it's definitely considered part of the price of doing business. Like you can't not have a social media presence now. I think that's the biggest thing that's changed since we started. Um, you you pretty much have to have a social media presence somewhere, depending on where your audience is. You don't necessarily have to be on every platform, um, but you you definitely have to be reachable that way because your customers now expect you to be able to. Your your customers expect to reach you that way. You know, we started with Sun and Fun Air Show in 2011, and I can tell you when we started, they had seven people answering phones and they had us in social media. And at last year's show, they had one person answering phones and we had three people on social media because that's just the people they don't necessarily want to call. Mm -hmm. So I think social media is part of the toolbox. It definitely has to be in your marketing toolbox, but I would still caution um calling it traditional media it is usual but not traditional if that makes any sense um it definitely needs to be in the toolkit but the thing that makes social media different and a separate class from what i'm calling traditional media is up until social media marketing was interruptive you didn't you sat down to watch the football game. You didn't sit down to watch my beer commercial, right? I interrupted what you were doing to try to get your attention. But on social media, it's all permission-based marketing. Yes, there are advertising. There's advertising on social media, and that's a separate thing. But we're talking about organic social media, the posts that we're doing and commenting and responding to comments. That's all permission-based. If I don't provide value to my audience, they can click that little X and never have to hear from me again. So it's an entirely different approach when it's permission-based because you have to put the audience first. If you're not providing value to your audience, why should they follow you? I think that also goes back to what you said earlier about it being a conversation. You know, a beer commercial is not a conversation. Right. right. It's it's very one way. And they hope you get the the message from that. And then that inspires some sort of action down the road where obviously in social media, you've got a lot more ideally touch points where you're going to if if you are trying to influence a buying decision or a, you know, some sort of consumer action, then you're you're doing it through these multiple, multiple touch points. Um, right. But that also leads to a question of. I know there's a lot of data and a lot of ways that you can measure, you know, what you've done with social media. How do you know when it's working? Like, give us just a couple things that we can look at. Maybe if it's low hanging fruit for people who are not super, you know, in depth into the data, but how do you know social media is working? So there, it, it all it all ultimately depends on what your goals are for your social media program. So I tell people all the time, if, if you don't have specific goals for your social media program, you have no idea if it's working and you have no idea if you're wasting your time. You know, if you're, if your goal is ticket sales, but you never post a link to your ticket page, you're probably not getting it done. 
right? Now you can't just always sell, 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 and you can't just always post links to tickets, but that's gotta be, that's gotta inform your strategy. Your goal has to inform your strategy. And it also determines what measurement constitutes success. If a client tells me, Kevin, I just want people to know that we're here, right? We're, we're, we get this a lot. We're the best kept secret in fill in the blank, right? We're tired of being the best kept secret in wherever. And so we just want people to, to, to know that we're there. So brand awareness is something social media does very, very well. And the metric there is going to be reach. How many eyeballs did we get you in front of? That's going to be how we determine success on brand awareness. Whereas if the goal is, hey, we need, we need the cash register to ring. We need ticket sales. Well, then we're going to do things differently. Maybe we're going to put more of an emphasis on traffic to the web page. And we're going to look at, in conjunction with you, we're going to look at how many people click those links. And then you're going to tell us how many of those people bought tickets. And then we're going to figure out a conversion rate. And that's how we know if we're successful. Um, you can do things. It's always easier to sell something online if people can buy it online, right? So it's always hard if you don't have some sort of online ticketing system or online gift shop, if they have to physically come there, it's always a harder road to hoe. Um, but, you know, we're going to look at things like it, if, if, if it's the case where they have to come to the box office to buy a ticket, are you asking them at the box office, how did you hear about us? What brought you here today? Right. You need to be doing that regardless of whether or not you have a social media program, because how do you know how you're reaching people yeah. if you're not asking those questions? Um, but, you know, now you can do things like maybe there's a, we run a special on social media that we only promote on social media discount code blank. It, and we only posted that on Facebook. So we know that everybody who bought using that code came from Facebook. So there's, you know, very direct ways to measure like that. But then, you know, there are, there are indirect ways too. So, you know, uh, especially early in um, NetWeave's life, not everybody had online ticketing and some small attractions still don't. Um, and so we, we would do a case study. We would say, okay, um, here's, here's what we're going to do. We did, we actually posted on social media. Have we ever posted anything here that made you come and visit the park? Yes or no? And we look at how many yeses we got. And then the park helped us with, okay, the average party size is this. The average spend per visit is this. And so doing that, we did the math. Okay, well, this many people we know, right? We, we don't know how many people didn't see the question, didn't answer it, whatever. But we know at least this many people came and we know that on average, this is what they spent. And here's what you spent on your social media program. And the return on investment was four to one. So you can, I mean, you can make this as, as easy as or complicated as you mm -hmm. need to. You know, we have clients that um, we, like I said, we do a lot of aviation uh, clients, we have clients that operate these World War II aircraft that they sell rides on. We we know from how they sign up for the ride, they say where they heard about it. So we know we sell 40% of their rides via social media. And then we know what their total revenue was. So we took 40% of that and then we divided it by how much they spent on us and the return on investment was 12 to 1. 
So I've got to imagine having the goal of the social media program limits the ability of kind of falling into a trap of vanity metrics because metrics themselves are not the goal. If you were to say, what's your goal? We want to have X amount of followers. We want to have X amount of likes and reposts and, and shares that in and of itself is not the goal of a social media program because all the things that you gave up examples of are have actual tangible benefit to the business. And that's the purpose of marketing in general is to then bring it back into the business. Right. And, and one of the things that we do during that onboarding process is we have nine goals that social media is fairly good at, and we make the client force rank them. We're like, which goal is most important here? You cannot check more than one. You have to give them to me one through nine, because in three months or six months, when we sit down and we go over these numbers, I'm going to say, you told us the most important thing was this, and this is how we performed on that metric. And our approach is going to be different. If you say brand awareness is the most important thing, we're going to create different content and we're going to post it differently and we're going to word it differently than if your primary goal is to drive attendance at an event. You know, it, it informs the approach. And so, you know, we make people do that force ranking. And then when we sit down and review, because we review every quarter. So we sit down in three months and we review and they say, you know, we, we haven't sold any widgets. I'm going to say, but that when we sat down to do this, you told me the most important thing was brand awareness, not sales. And, and we've reached this many people who fit your criteria. Well, yeah, but we haven't sold any widgets. Well, then you know, for the next three months, do you want to change the primary goal to selling widgets? Because that's not what we've been doing up till now. Yeah. So Kevin, I know a lot of uh, organizations, uh, they focus on social media for the guests, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But you and I had kind of a fun time doing an experiment and doing a session at the most recent Florida Attractions Association conference about kind of using social media as a way not only to engage guests, but to uh, uh, a way to engage employees, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, so we did a session there and I will certainly jump in, but I'd love if you could kind of give us an overview of what that session was and and from your perspective, where you think social media could be used in a maybe a slightly different way than some people are thinking. Okay, yeah. So, um, so Matt and I were talking and it, we were reminiscing on the fact that we've both been going to these conferences for more than a decade and we've never presented together and how could that be possible? So <laughs> we tried to think of something that we could do together and we came up with this idea of um, a brand ambassador program where people have used that term before, but specifically what we mean by that is if everyone at the park or everyone at your attraction had a 15 minute shift as part of their day where they were responsible for going around um, with their cell phone or, or your cell phone, whatever, and, and finding opportunities of saying what's great about the park or finding opportunities about things that might be wrong and sending that to a clearinghouse where then your clearinghouse person, and in most cases, that would be probably your social media team, and they could take the good stuff and work that into their content. And at the same time, take that bad stuff and write it where it needs to go, if that's ops or food and beverage or whatever. And, and really give every employee a chance to work at that bigger picture level 
to give them kind of ownership over things to feel valued. So in a retention aspect, feel valued that they're not just standing there pushing a button all day or giving a thumbs up to give Matt's book a plug. <laughs> um, you know, they're, that's not just what they're there for, that the organization values their perspective on the the park and the interaction with the customers and how things look and how things work. Um, and it's just 15 minutes out of a whole day. Um, but that's also a great source of content for your social media team, right? Because now you've got people in the park every single day looking for happy customers, looking for amazing photos um, that would give the social media team a lot of um, a lot of uh, content. But then on another level, it gives the employee a sense of, hey, I contributed to this. What I did is visible to the whole world. And not only do they bring their friends and say, hey, look, this was, I did this. I took this picture today and now it's up on, on the, the Facebook page or whatever. Um, but it also not only increases retention, but it kind of, one of the great things about social media is it can convert customers to fans, to evangelists. It can do the same thing for your team. It can convert them to fans, to evangelists. And now they're recruiting for you. When their friend needs a job, hey, you need to come work here. It's fantastic. I don't just push a button all day. They actually care what I think. I actually contribute to decisions that they make. My stuff winds up on social media. This is a great place to work. You should work there with me. And so that was kind of the the idea in a nutshell of the um, of the session. And uh, you know, we just engaged people. It, it's something that neither Matt nor I were familiar with anyone who'd tried it before. And so we just kind of threw it out to the group of like, hey, what do you guys think about this? And I'm really interested to see the next time we see everybody, um, what kind of stories we hear. Because there were at least a couple of people that are like, I'm absolutely taking this back to the office and trying it right now. You know, and there were other people that were more skeptical, of course. Um, but our, our point was, whatever you do, it can't be a program. It has to be included in your culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if the culture is that nobody ever listens to any anyone on the front line and nothing ever changes, and that continues even if you do brand ambassador shifts, it's not going to make a difference in your organization. But if if the culture is, hey, look, you know, we we might discover some wonderful things by putting the camera in their hands for 15 minutes a day, then, you know, it has the potential, I think, to do a lot of great things. Yeah, I um I sat in and and watched that <laughs> session and I really enjoyed it and uh, and I even suggested I said yeah you guys need to do this again uh, next year and and get the get the follow up do it as case studies for everyone uh, everyone in the room who you said they're going to go back to their office and try it so I look forward to seeing the results of it because I think it's it's definitely something that uh, it is a powerful benefit for both marketing and for culture and and I love the way that you guys both really were able to fuse those together and be able to to get those twofold benefits of it. Uh, Kevin, as we start to wind this down here, uh, if people want to learn more about NetWeave or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Um, well, you can go to netweaveonline.com. That's our website. 
or you can find uh, NetWeave on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or X, or whatever it is by the time this airs, because <laughs> it might have changed again, who knows, um, or Instagram or any of those. So um, yeah, just uh, you can start at netweaveonline.com. I would have been really surprised if you didn't talk about finding you on social media after this conversation, <laughs> right? Uh, so Kevin, this has been a wonderful conversation and we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be here and sharing all of your expertise. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.